0: Who wants to be obsessed with food? And when we do something like count calories or restrict a certain type of food, it just furthers the obsession and it robs us of our enjoyment of life.
1: Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are, whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts, and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey, everybody. I'm joined today by Elizabeth Benton creator of Primal Potential, the podcast that is helping thousands of people to live a healthier, better life. Elizabeth's background is fascinating. I'm going to let her share it with you, but her message developed out of her own experience after losing after losing 140 pounds by cracking the code, a code that she's going to share with us today. Whether you're suffering from obesity or not, these principles apply to you for living a healthier more balanced, more fulfilling life that helps you reach your greatest potential. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I am great. Elizabeth, do I have that right? The strategies and the principles that you're going to share with us today helped you lose 140 pounds?
0: It is. After a lifelong struggle with obesity, yep, I I got it done. I figured it out. (laughs)
1: Well, and Elizabeth, that is obviously an amazing accomplishment and it definitely gets people's attention. But what I love about your work is that you aren't just targeting people who are suffering from obesity, but people who are struggling in any way with food, fitness, fat loss, balance, et cetera. And you're doing a brilliant job of it. I think it would be useful for you to share a little bit of your story before we jump into the principles that you live by now that help you sustain such incredible results absolutely so
0: i like to say that i was born metabolically disadvantaged and i say that uh a little bit in jest but in truth that my mom was not well when she was pregnant with me she's a she's a tall thin woman and she actually lost weight throughout the duration of her pregnancy and the doctors all anticipated that i would be this scrawny little thing and i wasn't i was a chunker i was a heavy baby um and the reason is because when I was in utero, I my metabolism slowed down to ensure my survival because that's, why, that's how we work. That's how our bodies work. They want to keep us alive and well. Um, so despite being in a thin fit family, I was the heavy baby. I was the chunky kid. I never outgrew the baby fat. And maybe I would have during puberty or whatever else, but my mom... Um, was not happy with my weight she felt that it was a reflection of her ability as a parent and though her intentions were wonderful and i always knew i was loved she was constantly making me aware of my weight and had me on diets from a very very young age and so i developed a food obsession and i learned to sneak food and i learned to make all these negative emotional associations with food because For better or for worse, I was judged because of my weight, and I used food as a way to numb my feelings and got up well over 300 pounds, but I was always on a diet. I was always reading about food or nutrition or looking for the latest, greatest fad. I walked away from a scholarship in Latin and Greek in college to study nutrition and biochemistry because I was so obsessed, and I was over 300 pounds, but... I was totally obsessed and never happy, always dieting, supremely depressed, never satisfied with myself. And after college, I went and I worked in the industry, I developed anti-obesity programs for a hospital system. And then I worked in the dietary supplement industry and was still totally overweight. And it wasn't until I started to deconstruct the traditional patterns of dieting that I realized what could be an effective long-term strategy. Because the, the reality, and I know this is what you, you believe as well, is that short-term strategies give short-term results. And dieting is a short-term strategy, so your results will be short-term. And I lost weight on diets, but... I destroyed my metabolism, and I wreaked havoc on my hormones, and the weight always came back on, usually with extra friends. So, you know, I, I went up and down, up and down, up and down, and then when I finally decided enough is enough, no more diets. I need long-term strategy for long-term results. You, you've got it. I lost 140 pounds
1: on your blog, I know that you share that you've, you've literally lost and gained hundreds of pounds over say the first 25 years of your life. Is that true? Oh my gosh.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was so good at following diets. I mean, I am a rule follower. I am a goal oriented person. Like I can, I can follow the rules. I can play by the book, but the thing is, and I would spend time on moderate diets, uh, like Weight Watchers, and I would eat all my points in sugar free jello and fat free microwave popcorn, which I'm telling you, you can eat like a truckload of that stuff for 31 points. Um, but I would also do things like nothing but protein shakes and chicken broth for months at a time. So yeah, of course I lost weight, but it wasn't sustainable and I wasn't happy and I was doing more damage to my metabolism along the way. So as soon as I went back to what should have been a normal, healthy, balanced diet, because of the damage I had done to my hormones on these crash plans, these really unhealthy, unsustainable plans, the weight piled back on.
1: So Elizabeth, the food journey sounds insane, but I also don't think that you have to have hit 300 pounds to appreciate that food journey. I think so many of us have had at one time or another a disordered relationship with food. I know eating disorder is a strong, strong term, but I believe that disordered eating is extremely common. What do you think?
0: I absolutely think so. And I think it stems from emotional associations to food that doesn't deserve emotional association and it's not just negative stuff it's positive things too but you know we tend to have this pattern of well I'm good and it's a good day if I eat salad and fish and I'm bad and it's a bad day if I've had pizza and french fries and ice cream and Really, they're not linked at all except in our minds. And when we start to develop those emotional constructs with this is good and this is bad or when I feel this way, I eat this way, that's where we get into real dangerous territory.
1: The challenges that you speak of, the problems that you're identifying, they are not gender specific. They are not age specific. I know plenty of young men, young women, older men, older women, everybody in between who are all suffering from the same struggles share with people what you mean when you talk about primal health and so your website is primalpotential.com can you share with people a little bit about what that actually means
0: yeah so one of the big changes for me I was always looking for the diet that would help me lose weight the fastest. And I figured I'll deal with maintenance later. Let me just take the weight off. And it's funny because I consider myself a reasonably intelligent woman, but it took me 30 years almost to realize that that was failing me time and time again. Like I always thought that this next diet would be the one that I would be able to maintain or sustain, but it never really happened. And so in my approach, when I first started to kind of redesigned the way I was going to go about losing weight was I'm going to eat whole foods. I'm just going to eat real things. I'm not going to eat things that are in a bag or a box or a can or whatever. And I'm going to focus on whole foods directly from nature as nature intended them to fuel and nourish our bodies. And when I'm hungry, I'll eat more of them. And when I'm not hungry, I'll stop. And If I want to indulge, I'll do it with whole foods instead of this processed stuff and just see what happens, right? Because I was failing over and over. I was miserable. I was depressed. I had times where, honestly, I felt like my life wasn't worth living as it was. I thought, hey, what's the worst thing that can happen, right, if I just try this out? So you may have heard of paleo or primal, and it kind of makes my skin crawl when people call them diets um, because because of the connotation of the word diet. Now, for people who just mean like the way we eat, that's what it is. But for people who think like it's a short-term strategy to lose weight, for me, that's not what it is. I like to think that I follow primal principles for the way that I eat and move and sleep and live. And those are principles that are related to, but obviously not identical to the way that paleolithic people would eat and move. And not that we, you know, are going to sleep on the ground under the stars and, you know, kill our food, but just that we are going to eat the way our bodies were designed to be nourished. And that is whole foods, things like meat, fish, poultry, Fruits, vegetables, um, sweet potatoes, not things like pasta, bread, cereal, um, granola bars, you name it, you know, things that whether or not people consider them healthy are highly processed and are very, very, very far removed from food. I mean, what is an Oreo? Where did it come from? Like, (laughs) there, there aren't Oreo trees, Oreo plants, you can't go, oh yeah, this comes from a the answer is factory. Um, and so I kind of took the approach that if something has a long shelf life, it's probably borrowing from mine. And I went for foods that are direct from nature that, you know, don't have a long shelf life. So I, I eat whole foods. Those are, that's sort of what I think of as my primal principles. I move as often as I can and that's walking, not like treadmill craziness. Um, I lift heavy things, I eat whole foods, and I sleep a lot.
1: Thank you for that very simple definition. I think that people have made um, quite a bit of money complicating health, and I think that you do a beautiful job of cutting out the crap and just making it simple. Well,
0: and, and a point about that, because I think that's so important, when we look at the people who are pushing the messages of dieting, counting, restricting, blah, 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 they kind of have a vested interest in keeping us unwell because as we fail diets and as we get more desperate, we're willing to put more time and more money into finding a solution. And while we do that, we line their pockets. So it really isn't simple. And people who want to tell you that it's complicated, I question their motives and I don't like to call anybody out, but it really is as basic as eating real food as nature intended, and just moving your body and taking care of yourself with sleep and stress management.
1: Well, let's talk about movement for just a moment and tell me what exercise meant for you at that point.
0: I grew up active and athletic. I always played sports, even in college, even though I was very overweight. But with that said, I was very self-conscious and I would never even go into the bathroom in my house with the lights on because I didn't wanna see my reflection. Uh, so I certainly was not comfortable at that point in time going to a gym. I mean, bright lights, lots of people, mirrors, and you're going to be working out and exerting yourself when you're over 300 pounds. I was like, no way. And I feel very strongly uh, that there is an 80-20 rule of life, right? That, that 80% or more of our results come from 20% or less of our efforts. And I will be the first one to say that when it comes to fat loss, the big rocks are nutrition and mindset, and the big rock is not fitness. So I will go, and people can argue with me all day long, you cannot out-exercise a crappy diet, period, end of story, I'll take it to my grave. I lost my first 50 pounds without setting foot in a gym, because I wasn't ready. Could I? Sure, I could have gone to a gym, would I have lost weight faster? Maybe, maybe not, doesn't really matter. Um, but for people who are saying I'm not ready or I can't focus on everything under the sun, I totally agree and I don't think you should try to. If you are looking to make any change, I am all about focusing on the big rocks and one big rock is absolutely positively nutrition. With that said, can you accelerate your results through movement? Yes, but like with nutrition and the, the propensity to diet, most people are doing it wrong when it comes to working out. They feel like they've got to jump on the treadmill and stay there all day. And the more that they run, the faster they'll lose weight. It's actually not true. Even with nutrition, we have to eat in a way that balances our hormones. And if we eat in a way that messes with our hormones, we slow our results or we stop them altogether or we reverse progress. The same is true with fitness. We have to move intelligently in a way that balances our hormones because it is our hormones that are dictating whether we're burning fat or not. And when we get on the treadmill and jog, jog, jog till our legs fall off, we are increasing our stress hormones. We're causing compensatory hunger and cravings later. So when you do that and you get off the treadmill and you feel like you could eat a house, well, there's a reason for that. Um, so The most important thing, in my opinion, from my experience working with clients, the research I've done in my own journey, leisure walking, is number one, uh, moving your body as it was intended to move, getting up off the chair and just walking. This was the very first thing that I did. I got a treadmill, and when I was watching my shows at night or catching up on work email on my phone, I would walk slow, not a power walk, not a tracksuit huffing and puffing kind of walk, a stroll. And this is fantastic for the hormonal response we're looking for to get into fat-burning mode. Beyond that, when we talk about cardiovascular exercise or getting your heart rate up, you want it to be short and intense. You don't want it to be long and moderate. And the reason for that is the hormonal implications of the different types of exercises. So a couple of times a week, my cardio workouts are literally 10 minutes max. And it's sprints. And if you had said the word sprint to me when I was 300 pounds, it would have punched you in the face and said, <laughs> no way. But here's the thing about a sprint. It's totally relative. So I could sprint at 320 pounds. It just looked a whole lot different than it does now. And sprinting doesn't have to be a running sprint. You can do a sprint interval on a rowing machine or on a stationary bike, you know, or, or jogging up and down the stairs. It just means your fastest burst. And you're going to do a few of those. And the great thing that that does is it creates a fantastic hormonal response that favors fat burning. And if you, I mean, I don't know whether or not you want to go into kind of the details of how that works or not. We certainly don't have to, but the other thing, so leisure walking is one, these high intensity sprint intervals is another, and they take no time at all. And they're relative to your fitness level. So no matter how active or inactive you are, this is something that you can do. You might just do two sprints on a stationary bike and that's it. And you're done. That's great. Good start. Uh, and the other thing is lifting heavy stuff. That is what we were designed to do, to be functional, to lift and push and pull. And so that was another part, um, after that 50 pounds that I, that I got started in was lifting heavy things. And there was a few primary lifts that I spent majority of my workouts doing. And I'm talking 20 minute workouts And we're just lifting heavy things. And that's where we initiate change within our bodies.
1: Elizabeth, I'm so glad that you just broke that down for us on several levels. The first one is, I think so many people who are frustrated with their bodies or frustrated with their state of wellness, they just don't feel good. I think that exercise is a huge hurdle that we create for ourselves Mm -hmm. that very conveniently keeps us where we are.
0: Yeah, I think it's totally legit to feel that way. It's very natural to feel that way. But the bottom line is it's okay to feel that way because you can still transform your life in a major, major way without the fitness component. You can get to it when you're ready, but you don't have to be ready today. And I, when I'm working with clients, and this was the approach I took with myself as well, one Thing at a time. There is no need, and I actually think it really works against your ability to succeed to try and feel like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna clean up breakfast, I'm gonna do these great things, and I'm gonna cut out soda, and I'm gonna walk more, I'm gonna get to the gym three times a week. You're spreading yourself too thin and you're setting yourself up for failure. What I like to do is say, let's identify one moderate change that we can focus on that is a big rock, not some, you know, little thing that is inconsequential and won't lead to results, but let's let's pick one one big rock that is achievable, and we're going to focus on doing that every single day. Practice, practice, practice. Will you you mess up? Will you drop the ball? Will you take a couple days off? Sure, but we get right back to it. Practice, 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 and after time, that feels effortless, and it feels natural, and it's only then that you add more, I always talk about the minimum effective dose for change, and that is where I recommend everybody start for two reasons. One, it allows you to build a habit that is sustainable, that becomes effortless, and you're like, oh yeah, I'm doing this and it's easy, no big deal, I'm ready for the next thing. But the other thing is, whatever you change, your body will adapt to. While you're busting your tail making all these changes, your body is fighting to achieve equilibrium or homeostasis and kind of plateau. So if you go guns blazing, all I'm going to eat is chicken and broccoli and I'm going to hit the gym five times a week and I'm going to do cardio for an hour every day, blah, 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 your body will adapt to that whether it's, you know, shortly or in a while, it will adapt. And then what more do you have to give? The only option you have is to eat less or exercise more. And that's terrible because that's going to make you more hungry. It's going to give you more cravings and it's going to slow down your metabolism. But if you've started with that minimum effective dose for change, when your body adapts and it will, you have the next step to take. You've always got another arrow in your quiver to take it to the next level.
1: All right, let's deep dive just a bit into hormones. You touched on it. I think it is extremely useful for people to know. And I think there's a lot of misinformation. In fact, Elizabeth, I think sometimes when people hear hear, um, the word hormones, they're picturing something entirely different than how that relates to fat loss. Can you talk about that? Absolutely.
0: So there are a couple common misconceptions people have with hormones. They think when we start talking about hormones, we're talking about ladies. We're not talking about (laughs) humans. So we're talking about men and women. Hormones play a, a role either way. The other thing is people think we're talking about sex hormones, we're talking about libido, we're talking about estrogen and progesterone and testosterone. We are, but there's a hierarchy of hormones for health and fat loss and the sex hormones are actually at the bottom of the hierarchy. So they matter, but they don't matter as much as some others. And I will say that the most important thing that you can do for fat loss or change in body composition of any kind whatsoever, whether that's building muscle or you know burning fat, is balance your hormones. And that doesn't mean that calories don't matter. They do matter, but they don't matter as much as hormones because your hormones are always assessing what's going on in your body and they're sending messages to your body what to do with the fuel you're eating via food and the fuel that your body is storing via fat and muscle. That is determined by your hormones. That is not determined by your calorie intake. So I will say that calories matter because if you want to burn fat, you do have to consume fewer calories than your body needs to operate. But if you go too far with that, you're screwing with your hormones because, I mentioned this earlier, but your body is programmed for survival. So if you go on a traditional diet and you crash diet and cut calories, your body gets the message and tells your hormones, whoa, whoa, something's going on here. It doesn't know you're on a diet. It doesn't know there's a grocery store two blocks away or that your pantry is full of food. It thinks that fuel is in short supply and it goes, whoop, time to downshift, time to downshift, time to conserve all the energy possible. And so it slows your metabolism. It holds on extra tight to that stored fuel in your body, i.e. body fat, And it won't give it up without a fight because it's going, hey, there's not enough fuel coming in here and we got to hang on to this because we don't know when we're going to get more. So you create a situation where you make weight loss less likely and you slow down your metabolism. So as soon as you stop that diet, you already have to eat less just to maintain because you've slowed your metabolic rate. The other thing is that it is going to upregulate hunger and cravings, and those are hormonal signals to tell your body, "Hey, eat." In fact, why don't you eat uh, some really highly processed carbohydrates because that is the fastest way your body knows to get to get fuel. So when we do this, we send hormonal signals to our body to slow down the metabolism, to upregulate hunger and cravings, and that's why we all feel like gosh, I can never survive on this diet because I just don't have control of my hunger or my cravings are driving me bananas. It's because we aren't working with our hormonal signals. The other thing is, if you just focus on the calorie deficit and I'm going to eat less and move more, who's to say you're burning fat? You're actually telling your body to hang on to fat. And if it has to burn fuel in your body to burn precious muscle tissue, because that's an easier, more accessible fuel source for your body. So while we do need to consume fewer calories, we have to do that moderately, but we have to eat in a way when we do choose our fuel sources from food that balances our hormones, because it is our hormones that tell our body whether or not we're hungry, whether or not we should have cravings, how stable our energy level is, and all of those factors. So we have to make choices to cater to this hierarchy of hormonal balance in the body. And we can, if if you wanna get into kind of what hormones are important and how they work and whatever, we can get into that. But that's sort of like the big picture of why hormones matter more than the calorie
1: count. Okay, two questions. In this sustainable lifestyle that you've created for yourself and you now make a living teaching to others, do you count calories personally?
0: No people will often kind of wonder, well, one, where do I start? And two, how am I supposed to know if my hormones are balanced? And that is, I I mean, I, every time I think about this, I'm like, this is so cool. I'm a science geek. I can't help it. But our body is always sending us what I like to think of as smoke signals to let us know what's happening. Are we eating enough? Are we not eating enough? And are our hormones balanced? So you don't have to go to the doctor and get this expensive blood panel to know the state of your hormone balance. We can sense the state of our hormone balance through sensations that we just haven't learned to tap into yet or understand what the signals mean. And those things are hunger, energy, mood, cravings and stress, right? There's a few others, but those are the primary ones. So when we pay attention to that, we can automatically tell the state of our hormone balance. And we can automatically know if we need to be eating more or less. We have to tap into the sensations of our body. If you feel hunger, eat something. But you have to also understand, and this is what I work with with my clients, and this is what I try and teach on the Primal Potential podcast, is what foods are going to balance those hunger hormones and what foods are going to make cravings worse versus better, there is very clear logic on how we can eat when we get a hormonal signal like, oh, okay, I'm having a craving for such and such. This is how I need to respond intelligently. And if I don't, I can expect more hunger, more cravings, more things like that. So there is absolutely a strategy to this in terms of picking the right types of foods to balance those hormones, but learning to listen to your body and to listen to the difference between I'm truly hungry and I've conditioned myself to want to eat at this time or I'm experiencing a craving and why we have those associations and how we can overwrite them.
1: Okay, so I think it's going to be useful for people if we actually dive into the foods that help and the foods that hurt. But before we do that, what Mm -hmm. I'm hearing you say, just to kind of bring this full circle, what I'm hearing you say is, and correct me where I'm wrong, you don't count calories, but you pay a hell of a lot of attention. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So instead of counting calories and turning the box over and saying, I can eat this, it's only 100 calories, you are actually not eating food that came out of a box (laughs) –
0: Well, that's a great example. If you think of the 100 calorie pack, right? You eat that and you go, oh, that was only 100 calories. I'm good. And then you realize I'm still hungry. I want more that is a sign that that food did nothing to balance our hormones and may very well have hurt and probably did hurt our hormonal balance. And that's why it's so easy when you open up that bag of Oreos to eat the whole darn thing because it can get us into this cycle of more hunger, more cravings, more fat storage.
1: So wouldn't it be so cool if the boxes actually told you how that Thing would make you feel instead of how many calories it had in it.
0: But isn't it easier to just pay attention to how you feel?
1: Exactly. So I love what you're saying. You're saying instead of counting calories, not that they're not that they don't exist, but instead of counting calories and measuring food, that you are actually paying attention to the effect that that food has on your body when you consume it.
0: Yeah, and that lessens. Listen, whether I was overweight, obese, or or fast forward to nowadays. I mean, who wants to be obsessed with food? And when we do something like count calories or restrict a certain type of food or whatever else, it just furthers the obsession and it robs us of our enjoyment of life. And whether we're overweight or not, we're still obsessed over food and tapping into The way that food makes you feel and knowing, okay, when I eat these kinds of things, my hunger is out of control. But when I eat these kinds of things, I feel really good. My energy is stable. My mood is stable. That lessens significantly the focus on food so you can go about and enjoy your life.
1: Okay, so my second question then was you talk about hormones as they relate to fat loss. And you did a good job of explaining why. But so how do we influence that?
0: So I'll give an example, and there there are lots of different hormones at play, and I and I put together a small ebook that's up on primalpotential.com that goes through all the hormones that impact fat loss and metabolism and how we can eat to bring them into balance. Uh, but I'll focus on what I consider and what lots of experts consider the master fat loss hormone, and that's insulin. Okay, and this is kind of the Cliff Notes version of the way that this works. Uh, But this one is the master. Like if you can get this one in control, you are so on your way to achieving your fat loss goals and making it really feel effortless. So insulin is released in response to a rise in blood sugar. Now, blood sugar rises when we eat carbohydrates because carbohydrates, fats, proteins, they're all made up of building blocks and they're different building blocks, whether we're talking about fat or carb or protein. Um, Carbohydrates the building blocks of carbohydrates are simple sugars. So when we metabolize them, they break back down into their smaller building blocks so that we can absorb them. Well, when we eat carbohydrates, they break down to those building blocks of sugar and that sugar makes its way to the blood. When the blood sugar rises, our body produces, secretes the hormone insulin. Okay, Insulin is the master fat loss hormone. Insulin's job in this case is to usher the sugar out of the blood and get it someplace for storage. Now, if you raise your blood sugar by having a bottle of Gatorade while you're running a marathon, your body's probably going to use that sugar for fuel right then. But unless you're being chased by a tiger or actively running a race or whatever, chances are your body's going to store that fuel for when it needs it. Insulin is the usher that takes it out of the blood and brings it to storage. There are a few different storage spaces that it can take it. The first place it's going to try and go is the muscle tissue. Muscle tissue has limited storage space, but it's really easily accessed. So next time you go you know, jogging up the stairs with your box of laundry, uh, you, you can tap into that stored energy in your muscle tissue. But if that storage space is full, it goes to the liver. Again, limited storage, easily accessed. Anything left over, insulin is going to tell your body to convert that extra stuff too fat and store it in your adipose tissue or belly fat, aka your hips, your thighs, your butt, whatever else. So when we go to bed at night, we obviously in most cases, unless we're sleepwalking or waking up in the middle of the night for a snack, we have no fuel coming into our system until the next morning. That means that when we wake up in the morning, our blood sugar is low because it's been 8, 10, 12 hours since we've eaten. And because our blood sugar is low, our insulin is also low. What this means is we are in peak fat burning state in the morning. When insulin is around, we are not because the body is very logical. Of course, it's, it's an amazing machine. But the presence of insulin tells the body, hey, there's actually extra fuel here and we're in storage mode, so can you go ahead and stop breaking down body fat because we don't need any extra fuel. We've got too much. We're trying to find a place to put it. So fat burning stops when insulin is around. You cannot burn fat when insulin levels are elevated. Now, when you wake up in the morning, blood sugar's low, insulin is low, so perfect prime fat burning. The problem is... We're also extremely sensitive to any rise in blood sugar first thing in the morning. It's kind of like if you, if you spent the day in a really dark room and somebody turned on a floodlight, your eyes would be way more sensitive to that light than if you had been out outside all day or in a room with light and somebody turned on the floodlight. You wouldn't even really flinch with the floodlight if you had been in the light all day long, right? That's how our body is in the morning. So if we introduce carbohydrates in the morning, our body's like, "Whoa, what was that?" It's it's that same sensation of the floodlight. And so we have an unusually sensitive peak for blood sugar and an unusually high production of insulin in the morning just because we're we're in this fasted state. So we have this big insulin uh production because of this sensitive time of day, and that shuts off fat burning. Like, nope, extra fuel, we're good. That insulin signals an anabolic process or a building up process, a process of dealing with extra fuel, so it turns off fat burning. What we can do is focus in the morning on foods that are rich in protein and fat and fiber and not the foods that are high in carbohydrates so that we extend that fat-burning stage and we're introducing food to our system so that when we introduce carbohydrates later, we aren't as highly sensitive, thinking back to that light example, so we don't have that big insulin response. But- most of us don't do that. We have the glass of juice. We have the English muffin. We have the yogurt with granola and fruit. And what happens is we enter this cycle, and this is what happens in the cycle. We raise our blood sugar. We instantly feel satisfied. We get this little endorphin rush. We are less hungry for a few minutes. Insulin responds and rapidly clears the sugar from the blood. Well, the sugar's not in the blood anymore, so blood sugar drops that makes us feel tired, more hungry, and have cravings for carbohydrates because the body's going, hey, we need some more. And the fastest way to get that rush again is with this simple fuel of carbohydrates. So we fall back into the cycle. That's why if you have a bowl of cereal, you're hungry again before the bowl has even hit the sink because we have this big peak in blood sugar we have this big rise in insulin and as fast as it rose it falls and we're back in this cycle of hunger and cravings and low energy and the more carbs we eat earlier in the day the more we stay trapped in that cycle so I know that was super long winded but it's a, it's an important part of the explanation
1: oh i think it's so useful and it raises so many questions a couple of things that i think that people will hear this and have questions about so mm-hmm. firstly uh, and by the way, I tested your theory for like five years, and I wouldn't eat a bowl of cereal in the morning. I'd eat three bowls of cereal oh, yeah. in
0: the morning totally. because it's the same thing with the bagel or the muffin. You're like, why am I? Why am I still hungry? Or I was only satisfied for like thirty minutes. What happened?
1: It's like it's Pringles in a bowl with some milk. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, could never stop. Okay, the Lucky Charms diet in college did not work for me. All right. right. So when I was in college, I was told that low fat was good and here i hear you telling me that dietary fat is what you actually need um particularly uh, critically what i'm hearing you say in the morning so people think that dietary fat is the same thing as that fat that they can pinch on their body
0: yeah i think it's unfortunate that we use the same words for both of the things you know uh that we call dietary fat and body fat by the same term because they really aren't related so this, I mean, we could go off on a tangent for this for days and years, and and I totally would love to because I'm a geek like that. But here's where I think people get confused. People think, well, fat is high calorie, so that's bad. But if we stop thinking about calories as like these magical little pellets that like accumulate under our, our waistband of our genes, and we think of them as a measurement of the energy potential of a food. So if we think of them that way, calories are just measuring the amount of energy a food can pot- potentially give us. So a gram of carbohydrate has four calories. A gram of protein also has four calories. A gram of fat has nine calories. So people go, oh, I can't eat that. It's high calorie. Or you could think of it as it's actually twice as energy rich as food protein, or carbohydrate. And what that means is it is going to fuel me for longer. Less of it is going to fuel me for longer. And I like to use this analogy. What if I asked you to sit next to a fire all day long and you had to keep it burning hot all day long, but the only thing I was going to allow you to use to fuel that fire is newspaper, gasoline, and kindling. You would need An incredible amount of newspaper gasoline and kindling to keep that fire burning hot. Now, when you put it on there, it would roar, right? But it would only roar for a very, very short time, and then you'd have to add more. That kindling and gasoline and newspaper is what carbohydrates are to our body. And the, the metabolic fire, if you want to think about it that way, we are this metabolic furnace constantly having to provide energy to our body. And when we use the things like uh, the pasta, the bagel, the English muffin, the cereal, it's like, instant fuel, right? But it fizzles out. And that's why we're hungry and we're experiencing cravings right afterwards. Then we're creating this carbohydrate spillover effect because we're going back for more, we're going back for more, and our body doesn't truly need more fuel. We just feel like it does because the fire has fizzled out. So all the extra carbs the the storage space is long since full in the liver and the muscle tissue, so it's converted to fat and it's put right under our waistband. It's stored in our adipose tissue or our body fat. The protein and the fat, on the other hand, those are the big substantial logs on the fire. And they burn for a long time and they keep us satisfied for a long time and they balance our hormones. They send the signal that we're good. We've got, we've got fuel, we're, we're cranking along. And when we focus on those foods, we experience the biofeedback that tells us so because we are less hungry and we have fewer cravings and our mood is more stable and our ability to focus is sustained.
1: Are you anti-carb, Elizabeth?
0: nope, I am not. I just think that there is a right way to do carbs and a wrong way to do carbs. It's It goes back to that analogy with the light. Early in the day, because we've been fasting overnight, we have created a situation where it is the most sensitive time of day to introduce carbohydrate. And so if we do that, we get this huge exaggerated response, which keeps us out of fat burning mode for longer because we're producing more insulin than we really need just because of the time of day and the sensitivity because of our overnight fast. I believe that there are what I call, and I've written about this uh, on the blog and and in my podcast, um, with this sort of four golden rules of carb consumption. And that is you want to eat the right type of carbs. So you want to avoid the highly processed stuff, the stuff that is closer in form to sugar because that is like the difference between uh, kindling and gasoline, right? These processed carbs are going to be the gasoline. They're going to they're going to be super hot fuel, but they're only going to last a second. And when that when that fire fizzled out, that's when we experience hunger and craving. So you want to choose the carbs that are real food. So that is going to be things like potato or sweet potato or fruit. Um, I, I'm not a bean eater, but if, you, if you're a vegetarian or something, that, that would fall into that category. Um, so you want to eat the right carbs. You want to eat them at the right time. The right time is not the morning. People who tell you, eat them in the morning because you'll have all day to burn them off. I'm sorry. With all due respect, those people do not understand hormones or metabolism. God bless you, but you're 20 years late to the party and your information is wrong. Uh, so you want to eat the right carbs at the right time. You want to eat them in the right amounts. If fat loss is your goal, you really want to limit your serving size to about a half a cup. And you can play with this more or less by paying attention to your hunger, to your cravings, to your satiety. And you can you can have more or less uh, you know, based on how you feel or based on your degree of fitness, your activity level, things like that. But that's just a general rule of thumb. You want to eat them in the right company. And I'm not talking about, you know, enjoying them more with your girlfriends, but rather you want to make sure that you pair them with fat or protein. And the reason for that is the same way as when you're building a fire. When you add the newspaper, you want to put it underneath the big log because that helps the log catch fire and burn slowly. So, this will slow down when you have the fat or you have the protein, You this will slow down the digestion and therefore create a smaller rise in blood sugar and a smaller release of insulin so that you can stay in fat-burning mode for longer.
1: Okay, so I'm gonna break this down for everybody. What I heard you say was four golden rules of carbs. The first one was, in essence, to eat real carbs. Mm-hmm. Okay, number two is the time of day matters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And three is the amount of carb matters. Mm-hmm. And four is the company in which you eat it. In other words, how you pair it and yes. needing to do so with fat and protein. Okay. So right. question about the amount. When you say half a cup, like I am allergic to the idea of measuring my food. So is oh, that- Oh, I totally am too. How do you do that? You know, it really is about
0: how you feel, but the bottom line is this, I, the more carbs you eat- the more sugar there is to be broken down into because these carbs are broken down to their building blocks. So how many building blocks are you giving your body to play with? It's just common sense. Like if you're normally eating... Uh, three cups of pasta with, you know, as your normal meal. Like if you go out to a restaurant and their pasta entree is your serving, just scale back a little bit. Any incremental reduction is going to help you. But if you consider it in the standpoint of all of this is broken down to its building blocks, which in the case of carbs is sugar, the less sugar you introduce into your body, the less insulin you're going to produce and secrete, and the less time you will be out of. Fat burning mode, right? Because the presence of insulin puts you into fat storing mode. So any type of gradual increase. If you're, if you're currently having, you know, two pieces of bread and a cup of beans um, and a potato with your dinner, scale back by one. You know, I mean, you don't have to be obsessive about bites or scoops or half a cup or whatever. Just wherever you're at start to gradually make a change. You don't have to go all in, but maybe you didn't realize, and I get this a lot with my clients and with listeners to my show, maybe you didn't realize that fruit is a carbohydrate or that beans are a carbohydrate. So maybe you just want to say, when I have dinner, I'm just going to have one carb, if you were having three or maybe four before. So it's just about kind of assessing where you're at and just making improvements.
1: Oh, I think that's so useful. I would love to, to make this real for people so they can picture where you came from and where you are right now. So could you walk us through what a day in the life was for you eating, you know, how you ate when you thought you were doing the right thing, when you thought you were making healthy choices and you were still unhealthy Absolutely. and uncomfortable?
0: Absolutely. So I would think when I when I was overweight and really struggling, I thought that a healthy breakfast was, um, some yogurt with granola and a piece of fruit. And I would get so frustrated when I was hungry an hour later, and I wouldn't understand. And I would think this is why I just can't lose weight because normal people would eat this and feel satisfied. And here I am ravenously hungry. So then, uh, later I would have a granola bar or some type of like oat based bar and I felt like oats are good, right? So, this much be, must be good. And it didn't satisfy my hunger and it made me crave things. So, then maybe I'd grab a piece of chocolate off a coworker's desk or something to sort of silence my craving. Um, and then I was a big fan because I thought it was a good choice of the like healthy choice frozen entrees. Cause they were easy to bring to work and I could just heat it up. But I always felt like this is a joke. This is bird food. I eat it and I'm still hungry. It's not even that delicious, but I mean, it's palatable, but I'm super, super hungry. And then in the afternoon I would struggle and I would still be feeling really hungry and I might eat a protein bar, um, or drink a diet soda or something like that. And then for dinner, um, I did a lot of rice with vegetables or chicken, and I really felt like I was eating pretty healthy. I was never a girl... Yes, I had my bad weeks, and I was on or off, and I definitely binged and did all those things, and I talk a lot about my binging and things, but overall, I was never somebody that ate fast food three meals a day or anything like that, but the unhealthy constructs I had were holding me back, and now... It's very, very different. So now uh, I will make, at the beginning of the week, a really big frittata with eggs and vegetables and some bacon or ground pork. And I'll cut it into four pieces, and they're big pieces. And I'll have this huge frittata uh, for breakfast. Um, I won't eat all four pieces, but I'll have, you know, a quarter of this large frittata for my breakfast Uh, Or sometimes I'll do um, bulletproof coffee just because it's easy and it's uh, a very high fat coffee with, uh, I actually put raw egg yolk in mine, which doesn't taste weird. You can't taste it. It's really good. With oil and butter and raw egg in my coffee, lunch is usually two, three cups of vegetables, whether that's Brussels sprouts, I love, love, love Brussels sprouts. If you don't love them, you're just making them wrong. Trust me. Come to my house because I do it right. Um, <laughs> and either um, chicken or beef or bison or pork, um, I eat a lot. Right? I, I volume wise, I eat a lot, and I'm never hungry, and I'm always satisfied because I'm choosing the fat and protein that really keeps me satisfied. What I found was when I achieved hormone balance and fat loss became really effortless, I didn't have the need to eat every few hours because I was truly being satisfied by the foods that I was eating. So dinner, for example, last night, I had two um, bison burgers that I made with garlic, uh, little patties, no bun, just the burger. And I had probably a cup and a half of mashed cauliflower and I had a half an avocado with that.
1: I am so glad you walked us through that because I think that it must be surprising people the amount of food the quality and the quantity of food that you're describing because what you described uh, the diet that that you used to participate in was one that It's so relatable. I'll have the yogurt, I'll have the granola, then I'll have some fruit, then I'll have, if I'm hungry, I'll have one of those bars that you unwrap and it's, you know, it's a quote, protein bar and if you read the ingredients you know the a type, candy bar exactly the, <laughs> the ingredients are, and yeah. no one can ever figure out why they're eating the things that say that they are healthy and I mean literally it says on the box this is healthy for you mm-hmm. and they're starving and they're not losing weight or they're skinny fat so they look great in their genes but they're not healthy they don't have energy their hunger's not in check their energy's not in check and their cravings aren't in check and right. so many people are doing this and I've done it and you've done it and it doesn't work and then you describe a diet that I think and diet with a small d you describe a lifestyle if you will that that is one where you are eating just gorgeous food I mean it sounds I'm salivating as you're describing this to me well and
0: that's the thing like I want everybody to real one thing that I ask I have weekly calls with my clients and I, without fail, ask them, do you feel like you are on a quote unquote diet? If the answer is yes, we got to change something. And I ask them, are you loving your meals? Because food is good and you don't have to eat like a rabbit. And please, please, please don't eat like a rabbit. I make food now that is better than food I would pay for at a restaurant. And I don't spend a lot of time cooking because I hate that. In fact, I'm like kind of the crock pot master because my days are so busy. I don't have time to cook. So you don't have to spend hours cooking or hundreds of dollars at the grocery store or not enjoy your food. I eat better now and I enjoy my food more now. And I think it's way more delicious now than ever when I was eating Five Guys or whatever else.
1: Elizabeth, thank you so much for sharing that. One thing that I know people are going to be asking about is they don't know what Bulletproof Coffee is. A lot of people still don't know. and Some people have heard of it and they still don't really know what it is. So just to go ahead and nip that one in the bud, in the show notes on airwithella.com when we post the show, Elizabeth, I will put a link to your podcast on Bulletproof Coffee and what okay. the heck it is. Okay. <laughs> um, and the short version, guys, is what Elizabeth is doing is she's combining very satiating fat and other healthful ingredients with her coffee in the morning. And it, and it gives you superpowers, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan. I'm actually an addict. Yeah. I have one more kind of big fat question for you. Everything you're sharing, is there one formula that's going to sort of work for everybody?
0: So the answer to that is yes and no. And it's the good news and the bad news. And that is all the answers about what the magic bullet is for you is totally unique to you and you can figure it out by just tuning into your own body. And if I asked 100 people that had lost 100 pounds or more, what foods satisfy you and what foods trigger you to want to overeat. Everybody would have different answers and everybody would be right. So the most powerful thing you can do to find that "quote unquote" magic bullet for you is to pay attention to how food makes you feel and realize that it will also change. I can tell you what foods satisfy me most effectively. I can tell you what foods actually make me more hungry. I can tell you what foods make me crave chocolate like nobody's business. And those answers are different than they were six months ago. But you have all those answers. That's what's so powerful. You can figure that out. You just have to start paying attention.
1: Well, and I think people don't want to hear that. I mean, to tell you the truth, I I don't even want to hear that because I'm like, oh, that sounds exhausting. So how do you teach people to do this? And and kind of where do they start, Elizabeth?
0: Well, you know, I get that. And if you had told me three years ago, you have all the answers. I would have been like, I hate you. We're not friends. You suck. End of discussion. Um, So I understand that resistance. However, I would say, how many times have you done what somebody else told you to do? And have you followed the prescription that somebody laid out? Had it worked? Like, did you get where you wanted to go? Did you find that that truly was the answer for you? And if you're thinking, well, yeah, I did lose 15 pounds, did you keep it off? Is it still off? Were you able to achieve your health goals that way? And for most people, the answer is no. So I understand the initial resistance, but consider, don't you already know that the alternative isn't true? Don't you already know that you should be very wary of somebody who says, just eat this? and then eat this, and then the next time you get hungry, just eat this. If somebody starts to take that approach with you, I would caution you to really question their intentions because everybody's answers will be different based on your hormonal balance, your, your metabolism, your fitness level, and it will change as you progress in your journey. What worked for me when I was 320 pounds is very different from what works for me now, but I can easily tell those differences. Now, when I'm working with my one-on-one clients... I have them start by just tracking everything they eat. In in fact, for the first week or two, I do not encourage them or tell them in any way to change their eating habits. I just want them to get in the habit of writing everything down, not for the sake of writing everything down for accountability, but I also have them check in at multiple points in the day. What's my hunger level right now? What's my mood right now? How's my stress right now? What are my cravings like right now? And then- we notice patterns. So did you notice that every time that you have this type of breakfast, you're ravenously hungry for the rest of the day? Or when you have this for lunch, you're always craving something a few hours later. Or you had major shifts in your hunger for the first you know, three hours of the day when you eat this way, but not when you eat this way. So those are the kind of patterns you need to start to first establish. And then there are basic principles and I outline them a lot on the website and on the Primal Potential podcast um, to kind of identify what foods can help to fill the gaps. So like, OK, hunger is a major struggle. These are the types of things that we can plug in that help to balance hunger and up oh, cravings are a major struggle. So these are the types of foods that we can plug in to make that work.
1: I'm sitting here thinking of how people will receive this. And I think what they'll hear you say is you're telling me that I don't feel great. I know I could lose weight or I know I could look better or, you know, fill, fill in whatever their goal is. And you're telling me that all I need to do is just pay attention and the magic will be revealed to me. And if that were the case, I would have figured this out a long time ago.
0: The first step, and this isn't how we solve the puzzle. This is only the first step. The first step is monitoring. How am I eating and why, right? Am I really, truly hungry when I go to the candy bowl every afternoon, or is that just a behavioral thing? So that's not meant to like be this magic bullet to say, that's the only thing you need to do, and you'll see the results. No, that's the first step and that's awareness. And I take a one step at a time approach because I feel like it's sustainable and it teaches you habits that you can build upon. It lays the healthy foundation for you. From there, we'll say, all right, let's start at the beginning of the day because you are taking yourself out of fat burning mode as soon as you wake up by going to that granola and piece of fruit, which you think is healthy, but is not fat loss friendly. So here are 10 different things that you can try, and I only want you eating things you love. So if you look at this and go, no way, then we'll come up with some different options that work for you. But there is no magic bullet because you've got to pick foods that you love. You've got to pick foods that work for you. If you don't have 20 minutes to prepare breakfast in the morning, then I'm not going to give you a frittata recipe. I have options for people. It has to fit your lifestyle and your preferences. Grab and go or heat and eat. What are those options and what does that look like for you? Because if it doesn't fit your lifestyle and it doesn't fit your preferences and you don't really enjoy it, you're not going to do it. So step one is awareness. Step two is identifying one small starting point that you can start to work on and make a change. And then you have to get back to that awareness of how does this change make me feel? Am I losing fat? right? Am I balancing my hunger? Do I feel better? Is my mood more stable? Is my skin clearing up? How's my bowel regularity? All those kinds of things, we have to be constantly paying attention and assessing.
1: Excellent. How do people find you, Elizabeth, if they do want to start on your Primal Potential program?
0: So the first and easiest place, the best information is probably the podcast. You can just go to iTunes, search Primal Potential, uh, and you can also go to PrimalPotential.com. There's a podcast tab there. I also have a blog. Uh, Get on my VIP newsletter list. That's where I share a lot of recipes that I love uh, and ways that you can tweak them to make them work for you. And I'll just say I'm not somebody that spends hours in the kitchen. Most of the stuff I share is like 10 minutes or less or can be thrown in the crock pot. So it's just ready for you when you get home at the end of the day. But I do for the people on my VIP newsletter list, um, I do share with them a lot of recipes, a lot of different workouts that I do, as well as kind of some of the more details of my personal journey. But, find me or email me. I respond to every email that comes through. So you can email me Elizabeth at primalpotential.com. You know, I want to help. I don't take on a ton of coaching clients because it is a 12 month program. It's a big commitment for people who really want to understand how to create a fat loss lifestyle. Um, but if you are interested in that, you can email me. I have the ebook that I mentioned up on primalpotential.com. And then one thing that I've started doing because of the podcast, because of the amount of questions that I do, um, I'll do a really simple nutrition consultation to help you identify fat loss factors that might work for you. It does require that you submit a 10-day food and fitness activity log uh, with what you eat for 10 days, how you move for 10 days, how you feel for 10 days. And then I will give you specific personalized recommendations based on that stuff. Because when people email and say, should I eat this or should I eat that? It's not that I don't want to answer but I just don't have enough information to answer intelligently and I don't believe in blown smoke.
1: Okay, that's really helpful. Your inbox is going to explode, Elizabeth. <laughs> and I will put on the, uh, on the website on airwithella.com. I'll put links to all of this and more, including the ebook that Elizabeth has mentioned. Before I let you go, I have two questions that I like to always ask everyone, except when I forget, which is about half the time. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to forget this time, Elizabeth. Two questions for you. The first one is, what habit would you like everyone listening to try on for just one week? I think a lot of people
0: will say, journaling food and I I agree with that but I take it one step further a lot of people think that it's just the accountability practice but then I don't think you get the information to make lasting change so what I would like people to do for one week is to write down everything they eat and drink but then a minimum of three times a day I want them to assess their body's biofeedback. so what is your mood what was your mood before you ate that chocolate bar how is your energy level how did you sleep How is your stress level? What's your hunger like throughout the day? What are you craving and when? Keep a careful journal. You can do it on paper. You can do it online and start to notice the themes. I guarantee that will be powerful, powerful information for you.
1: Okay. I've got to give that a plug because as I've studied this over the years, people have said, oh, write down everything you eat. And honestly, it made me like gave me a headache. And plus I eat a lot. So I found it depressing and I'm not overweight. I just don't like, it was never fun for me. Here's what I learned when I followed your advice. I learned that When you write down how you feel, it totally changes your focus, right? Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. So I did not know that if I have wine on, you know, a Saturday night, then coincidentally on Sunday, I have like huge cravings or I never feel full or I never feel Mm -hmm. satisfied by the way that does not stop me from having wine on Saturday (laughs)
0: night no but just the awareness I know tomorrow when I wake up I'm going to be craving so this is what I'm going to do
1: true and then uh, I now know that almond butter is my kryptonite and it just it has a special place in my life (laughs) and and, and, and that that is behind a lock (laughs) damn you almond butter okay so last question what one resource would you like to expose our folks, too, who are listening now, what can you share with them that works for you?
0: I will tell you that anyone who struggles, whether they're overweight or not, whether anyone who struggles with food choices, food obsession, and unhealthy emotional relationship to food, what you eat is a big rock. But I said at the beginning that mindset is another big rock. And I will tell you that I was not overweight and obese because of my food i was overweight and obese because of my thoughts and i know that sounds woo woo kumbaya let's hold hands and like you know whatever and that is not me i'm a yankee i'm practical i'm a straight shooter but i will tell you that anybody can make good choices when you feel like making good choices and it's the mindset that will hold you back and keep you from reaching your goals or keep you from getting started. So the resource that I would like to recommend is a book called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. It's an incredible book about mental fortitude and retraining your mind. And I insist that all of my clients do positive affirmations every single day because we have years and years of unhealthy tapes playing in our mind about our relationship with food, about our dependence on food, about our emotional relationship with food. And that is paramount if you want long-term success, because anybody can make good food choices for a few weeks, but it's the mental game that you have to win. So I would recommend that book very highly.
1: What a perfect place to wrap this up, Elizabeth. And I have that book. I love it. And I'll share it with everyone that's listening today at onairwithella.com. Elizabeth, cannot thank you enough for your time today. It's been absolutely brilliant.
0: Thank you. It's always fun to talk. I could do it all day long. And I'm just really grateful for the opportunity. And anybody wants to reach out to me, please do. I I love connecting with people.
1: Thanks, Elizabeth. Thank you. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. If you like the show, here are two ways you can pay it forward. Tell a friend, help spread the word, and leave a review in iTunes or Stitcher, whichever one you use. That helps the show enormously get traction and our goal is to spread the word. So if this show spoke to you in any way or it made you think of somebody who could get something out of it, share this with them. And if you want to send me feedback, you can do that directly. Here's how this works. Go to onairwithella.com, find the page that's called Connect, and send me an email. You can tell me anything you want to hear about, ways you think we can improve the show, or just what's on your mind. So I want to hear from you. If you have constructive feedback, tell me directly. If you love the show, share it with somebody and tell iTunes and or Stitcher. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.